One minute. Um, while I'm grabbing my water, if everybody could grab a paper Bible, there should be one somewhere near you. Yep, you need a paper Bible. This won't work. Well, I guess it would work with electronic Bible as well, but I'm... Yes, that's what I'm saying, your actual Bible. The one made of paper. All right, this is what I want you to do. Without thinking too much about it, I just want you to open your Bible to any passage, any page. I'm going to pray, and while I'm praying, I want you to look on the two pages that you've opened to. And some of you may have really um, lucked out and opened to the very middle where there's nothing. Sometimes that happens in between the two Testaments. But if you opened Old Testament, New Testament, I just want you to be scanning that page while I'm praying. And when you find anything to do with judgment or correction, I want you to raise your hand, okay? All right, so Holy Spirit, in this room, I pray you would grace me to represent you. That um, what's on your heart would be what's, what's released into this room. What you're feeling, what you're thinking. That we'd receive it in the way that you intend it. Lord, that I'd release it in your mercy, your love, your peace, your joy, your self-control. That um, I feel weak, God. So I just pray. Be my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me see your hands. Judgment or correction? Anywhere on the page? Anywhere on the page? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Did you guys all open to the same page? How do you know? You don't know where everybody opened. Okay, I want you to do it one more time. Switch pages. I see Lonnie's got his hand up over here. Switch pages. Pick another one. Same thing. Anywhere on those two pages, raise your hand if you see anything about judgment or correction. Oh, Lonnie's, Lonnie found one. I hear him laughing back there. <laughs> Abigail's laughing too. They found a good one. Angie, was your hand up? Okay. Tatum, was your hand up? You're on the same page as Angie, so it should be. Okay, about the same, same amount. Now, we could literally do this all day because the truth is about 75% of the pages in the Bible are going to have something about judgment in them. Now, I can say that with a lot of confidence because you look at the letters to the seven churches, and five out of the seven churches, about 70%, Jesus says, if you don't repent, you'll be cast out. The, the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of judgment. They're the same thing. This judgment and burning, it's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's talking about something throughout the Bible. This is very important to understand that if we're prophesying, we should be prophesying what the Bible's prophesying. If we're prophesying something different than the Bible, we're not prophesying by the Holy Spirit. And so we have to recognize most of what the Bible's talking about is judgment. There's a really good reason for that. It's because you were born into judgment, and God's trying to free us from more. So he's talking about the very thing he's trying to get us out of. And the way he does that is really specific. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're actually going to be talking about all prayer and how David's tabernacle is a different kind of prayer. Same thing that I've been talking about for the last 11 times I've gotten to to speak. We're also going to be talking about a core value, the very first one that Lighthop has. So I want to read that as as we begin. It's at the top of page one of the notes. This is Lighthop's core value. Um, The first in a list of many that David started talking about last week. To commit to maturing and speaking truth in love unto releasing judgment with Jesus by prayer and worship. And then there's some Bible verses that are attached to all the core values. Ephesians 4, 
Psalm 149, Revelation 8. So all prophecy, it points to judgment. Literally all prophecy. And you, you should really test me in this. Don't just take my word for it. Find prophecies in the Bible and find out, what are they about, actually? You're going to find that all of them, literally all of them, are about judgment. All the prophecies. Okay? So to be prophetic isn't to tell the future. This is a misconception. People that, are, that haven't thought a lot about it or asked the Holy Spirit about it or studied it much, you, you tend to think being prophetic is to tell the future. That's not the truth. Although this is what prophecy often reveals. Mediums and occultists, they tell the future with very little context about how to have that future go well for you. Prophets explain God's purpose in the difficult judgments mankind got himself into. That's what prophets do. Prophets explain God's heart in the difficult judgments we got ourselves into. So there's a misconception in the church that God might be doing judgment. We were born in judgment. Just look around. I mean, the earth is not the way it's supposed to be. That's a judgment on us for rebelling against his leadership. And that goes way back to great, 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 great grandpa Adam and great, 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 great grandma Eve. So it's not like, oh no, I hope judgment doesn't happen. It's like, how do we get out of the judgment? It's going to increase. It's increasing right now. Can anybody tell that judgment's increasing right now? The consequences for rebellion are going to increase because Jesus is coming back and he would prefer that we don't suffer any more judgment. So we respond to the judgment that he's given us right now to get out of the ill effects of more judgment. Judgment's good. And once we get into agreement with God about it, judgment goes really well for us. And just kind of the analogy that I think of is when I was in high school, I was a terrible student. I wasn't a good studier. Test day was typically not the greatest day for me. And there were like three or four kids in my, my class, my senior class, which I, I grew up in a small town with 75 people in my class. And there were like three or four I think they were all girls. They loved test day because they always got an A because they prepared for it. They loved judgment day because they were ready for it. And the rest of us were kind of like, oh, test day. So you want to be ready for judgment day. You want to be ready. Today is judgment day. You want to be ready for the judgment today. You actually want to conform to what God's trying to extract from us so that we can live with him forever. What is God trying to extract from us right now? Does anybody know? First Corinthians 13 lays it out really clear. I'm sorry? Love? There's three, actually. Faith, hope. Faith, hope, and love. That's the way that we should be responding to the trouble of today. Faith, hope, and love. And we, he gives us an incremental measure of trouble to stretch us into more faith, hope, and love. Okay? So to be prophetic isn't to tell the future. Well, that's what, that's what prophecy often reveals. Pro- prophets explain God's purpose in the difficult judgments mankind got itself into. Prophets explain where there's faith, hope, and love in judgment. We're in judgment already. Biblical prophecy reveals why and how to escape from further judgment. In judgment, what I mean by that are the just decisions of God. That's his judgment. He's making a decision. It's just. He is the judge, so he gets to make the judgment. All true prophecy is exhortation, edification, and comfort to understand judgment. So if we go back to that core value, we're committing to, in this place, this is something that we've decided this is what we're about, to maturing and speaking truth in love unto releasing exhortation, edification, and comfort to understand judgment with Jesus by prayer and worship. Does that make sense? So it's easy to hear this in the flesh and be like, oh, so we're, we're here to get mad at everybody that's doing stuff wrong. <laughs> that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to release anger on the wrong things that we see around us. That's, that's, the, that's the flesh's way of reading this. We're here to actually see the hope 
in the judgment and release the judgment because we believe that it's actually good for people. But that takes some doing. Your flesh does not believe the things that this describes God doing is good for people. You weren't born reading this and being like, oh, Revelation, that's like the most hopeful book in the Bible. But it is. It's actually the most hopeful book in the Bible. Okay? I mean, they're all talking about the same thing, so they're all equally hopeful, but it's a hopeful book is my point. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 14.3. This is the way Paul defined prophecy in the context of the outpouring of the Spirit, in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, which we just talked about, that faith, hope, and love, these are the things the Lord is trying to extract from us in our lifetimes. Our 70 or 80 years for strength is the way that um, Moses said it. So 1 Corinthians 14.3, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Why comfort? Because of judgment. It's, it's literally about, prophecy is about judgment. Otherwise, you wouldn't need comfort. You wouldn't need to be comforted about anything. You'd be like, hey, it's amazing. I already know everything's amazing. I don't need comfort for it to be amazing. He's comforting you because he knows the judgment's hard for your flesh to receive. So somebody that speaks prophetically, speaking comfort about judgment. That's the only thing to comfort you for. Okay, now prophecy explains the purpose of God behind what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. So if prophecy isn't just future telling. It's actually explaining God's purpose in what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Okay? So I want, you, I want you to hear this prophecy that Jesus gave in John 4, 18 and 19. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. And he's prophesying to her about the way that she's lived her life. He's actually comforting her in judgment. She's, she's suffering the judgment of some bad choices. And he's actually prophesying, hey, there's a way out of this. And she goes and tells everybody in the town, hey, he told me everything about my life. There's a way out of this. Do you see what I'm saying? This is re- he was releasing judgment, yes. Is that easy to tell somebody, hey, you know what, honey? I know you kind of lied. You've had five husbands. Does that sound kind of mean? But was he doing it to be mean? Did she take it as mean? Would we say, hey, that's kind of mean if we didn't know what was going to happen? Probably. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. So he releases judgment in hope, faith, and love. That's different than just being like, hey, I think I could receive it in faith, hope, and love, but these other people, they can't. So I don't want to say anything really hard. We actually have to be willing to say whatever Jesus is saying because he knows how to unlock hearts. He knows, he knows how to unlock our hearts. Okay, so judgment is desirable, those who want, desirable to those who want to be right with or near to God, but it's abhorrent to those who actually want to stay distant from God. And I, I'm not talking about anyone else. I'm talking about me, and I'm talking about you. The way that we see judgment actually reflects the way that we see God. If you see God as a hard man, then his judgments are too hard. But if you see the mercy, the love, the patience, the peace, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control of God, then all you want are his judgments. I want this man deciding my life. I want this man deciding what's good and what's bad for me because he's so much more merciful than anybody else I've ever met. He's so much more kind. But the way that I see God will actually define the way I see judgment because he is the judge, okay? Psalm 19.9. Now, David, he saw the beauty of God. And if you look, I mean, just let's just think about some of the stories of David being judged. What are some of the stories of David being judged? His son dying, he, he had been in sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he actually, that, that sin actually extended all the way to Absalom. And when Absalom came and tried to take the throne from him, I heard somebody praying into that this week. I think you were praying into that this week. 
Like, we have to understand that David, he, when he found out his sin, when he found out the judgment of God, he ran to God, not from him. That's something that we talk about here often. That's because he saw God differently than most of the people that were around him in his time, okay? Okay, so listen to this. This is what David said. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Now, you could get to this point and be like, yeah, David, he's talking about something different than like those revelation judgments. No, he's not. He's actually talking about them. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. What is the promise in Revelation 1 related to? It's, it's, there's this, an action you're supposed to do in Revelation 1. Actually, let's open our, if you still got your Bible, turn to me for a second to Revelation 1. Trying to do this one-handed. <clears throat> Who wants to read real loud? Somebody? Anybody? Say yes. Verse 3, 1, 3. Somebody read it nice and loud. Very nice. So, when we go back to Psalm 19.9, he says, verse 11, in Psalm 19.11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. This is, this is talking about the Revelation judgments. The Revelation judgments are talking about Psalm 19. Like, it's judgment. It's God's just decision. And so how do you keep the judgment? How do you keep it? How do you keep anything, Lonnie? If I gave you something, how would you keep it? Hang on to it. Yeah, you'd make it yours, right? If somebody came and tried to take it, what would you do? <laughs> for the sake of the stream, Tim said to shoot them. He's joking. You wouldn't let them, right? You'd hold it. It'd be yours. You'd make it yours. You'd make it about you. You'd wear it or you'd keep it in a safe place. That's what he's saying about the judgments. You're supposed to actually make them yours. They're not just Jesus's. If you're part of Jesus's body, then you're actually the part of the lamb opening the seals in Revelation 6. Are you part of Jesus' body? Are you part of the lamb opening the seals? Are you part of the lamb blowing the trumpets, instructing angels to blow trumpets that are very consequential? That's the best way to say it. Are you part of the lamb's body who's going to instruct those very same angels to pour out the vials on the earth in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation? Are you, part, are you one with Jesus? That's the question. And so the answer, just so you, we can shortcut right to the end, not yet. You want to be, though. And the only way that you can actually want God to release those on other people is for you to want him to release them on you. Okay? And so when we get to that point, then, I don't want to preach a whole different message. First John tells us that, per, that love, we know that we're perfected. Perfect love casts out all fear. And we know that we're perfected when we're bold for the day of judgment. Right? And this is what this is talking about. So we know that we're one with Jesus when we're like, I know it's a very hard release, yes, but it is the best thing. And I don't say that because I didn't walk through it. I only say it because I've actually had him walk me through this. Now, did Jesus, it says that he was tempted in every way that you are and that there's nothing you suffer that he didn't suffer first. That's what qualifies him to release judgment. So if you're going to be with him, one with him, and you want to be qualified to release judgment, what has to happen to you? You have to be subject to those very same judgments. That's what we're doing here. That's the point of Lighthop. And maybe you didn't know that when you first came here, 
But that's the biblical point of a house of prayer. That's what David said. That's, that's the, why he set up the tabernacle, because he wanted God to know him, and he wanted to know God. And for him to know God meant God was going to see things about him that God disagreed with and tell him about them. And when that happened, David wasn't going to run away from God. He was going to run to God. And in doing that, he reformed all of Israel. Isn't that wild that his agreement, somebody prophesied it. I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. But even, Jen, a few of us here being soft in the midst of what God's doing will make a difference to the whole city. David's softness made a difference to the entire nation of Israel to receive what God was saying. So we want to be a people that we're like, oh, I know it is hard. We want to be in the poverty of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, this is what God is asking of us to agree with him that his judgments are good. That would take a miracle. That's what we're here for, though, is a miracle. And the way that we see that is we get free from the judgment by making peace with our adversary now while we're in the way so that when we're before the judge, he doesn't have to extract all of the payment from us. Instead, he extracted it all from his son. Does that make sense? Okay. That's in the the Sermon on the Mount as well in Matthew 5. Make peace with your adversary. Okay, so true prophecy, it cannot proceed from a human being. Actual true prophecy, you can't prophesy. And if you do, it's false. True prophecy can only proceed from the spirit of prophecy. It can only come from the Holy Spirit. Your great idea, you're having a feeling and thinking, yeah, that's God. Like, you want to actually over time grow in the knowledge of his voice and learn how to prophesy more and more accurately, even more so as you see the day approaching. That's what Hebrews 10 is really about, coming boldly before this throne of grace, stirring up each other to love and good works. The way uh, Paul said it was iron sharpening iron. Like, we're actually supposed to be being changed to be more sharp, more honed, more accurate over time. And that's why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, which came out during worship, that we should not despise the spirit of prophecy, but test all things and hold fast to that what's good. So we could say that another way. Don't despise the speaking of judgment. If it's by the spirit, test it. Hold fast to what's good. Because mankind's anger can get involved. Our frustration, our lack of patience can get involved with prophecy, right? I mean, this happens all the time. We can add hamburger helper to the hamburger. And so we don't just want to be like, hey, that sounded really hard on those sinners. That must be God. He's actually very merciful. And so our release of prophecy should actually be filled with love and graced with mercy and patience and kindness, putting ourselves in the intercession spot, right? Putting ourselves on that mercy seat first before we ever would expect the world to be judged. But right now, it's very tempting, obviously, in the church to want God to judge the world and not realize he's actually judging the church. And you know you want God to judge the world, and you're like, God, you got to fix that person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. you got to make these people stop doing that that don't have the Holy Spirit. You gotta, this has to stop. These homosexuals, this abortion, all, I mean, we could, I could name 30 things that the church is right now like, if this would stop, everything would be okay. And God's like, no, actually, I'm talking to you about your personality and the way that it doesn't agree with me. And I want, I want mercy for the people that don't have the Holy Spirit so they can get the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, So the, there's a spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 19.10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, they're synonymous. They mean the same thing. The Holy Spirit is simply Jesus' spirit. You have a spirit. 
You have a mind, soul, and a spirit. Jesus, he has a mind, and a soul, and a spirit. And the spirit of Jesus, I just picture like when he's on the cross, it was broken and then distributed. And because he's infinite, it never ran out. It's like the loaves and the fishes. You are, if you're part of Jesus' body, he's actually imparted his spirit into you. He's given you the prophetic ability. He's given you an ability to communicate with God and in faith say what God is saying. And mostly what God is saying is what? Judgment. Mostly what God is saying is judgment. Now, if I said to you, hey, let's do the exercise again with the Bible. I want you, everybody to open the page. Everybody find the spot about forgiveness. You'd find the same thing. Why? Because the forgiveness is related to the judgment. What if I was like, all right, let's everybody look on the page. See if you can find anything about love. See if you can find anything about hope. See if you can find anything about faith. It'd be the same. These things are all intertwined together. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to recognize we can't get rid of the judgment because that's hard and just talk about the love. The love makes no sense apart from the context of judgment. The hope, the faith, the joy, none of that makes sense apart from the context of judgment. And so if we want to preach to the world half of the gospel, they won't get saved because it has no context. And they're like, I I believe in Jesus. I know God. David was talking to me about street ministry. He's like, you know, you go around and... Everybody seems to already know God. But if everybody already knew God, would the city look the way it does? No, of course not. If, if, if we knew God, our houses probably wouldn't look the way that they do. Our way that we relate to it, people at work wouldn't look the way it does. The way we go to school wouldn't look the way it does. So we have some judgment we need, and so does the city, right? Okay. Now, I want you to think, okay, so the testimony of Jesus and the teaching of the Holy Spirit are synonymous. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus and the originator of all true prophecy. That's how you know. That's the test, is, is the Holy Spirit saying something that agrees with what the Holy Spirit says, right? And we find that out in a variety of ways, from other people that know God, from the Word, from the, the witness of the Spirit inside of us, right? Think of every prophecy you've ever read in the Bible. Which one isn't about judgment? They all are. Now, biblical true prophecy, it edifies us to see or accept the judgments or just decisions of God rightly. So you can believe in the right decisions of God. You can believe God is a just judge and actually not receive it rightly. You can receive it in condemnation. You can have it drive you from God. But the spirit of prophecy actually opens the heart like the Holy Spirit did through David in his time period, to run to God, not from him. If we're prophesying judgment, we have to be prophesying forgiveness. We have to be prophesying mercy. We have to be prophesying the safe place. There's always, every story of judgment in the Bible, there's a safe place. Where was the safe place in the Exodus story when God was judging Pharaoh? Goshen. Where was the safe place in Noah's story? The ark. Where's the safe place in Sodom's story? Zohar. There's always a safe place. Where's the safe place in our story right now? The tabernacle. The tabernacle of David is the safe place in judgment. Why? Because we're going in first. We're like, judge me. Find me out, God. I actually want to know if there's any unrighteousness in me. And then I want an anointing to actually, with you, see the goodness of this in my life. Anybody seen the goodness of God's judgments in your own life? Yeah, it freed you from all the junk that was holding you back. And then we get an anointing to help other people actually with that prophetically, not in the flesh, not like, hey, judgment was great for me, now it's my turn. <laughs> That's not the right spirit. No, Lord, you, you, he took some of the things he's corrected me about. He's taken 40 years to do it, 50 years to do it. I'm sure in another 10, 
if everything's going well, I'm going to have another whole heap of things that I'm like, I can't believe that I thought that when I was 49. I can't believe I thought that when Sam was 51. It's just a joke. Okay. I love you, baby. All right. Now, all true prophecy, it exhorts us to respond in heart and body. So it doesn't just edify us to see it right. It exhorts us to respond to it right. What's a right response to judgment? Repentance. What else? Humility. Good. More. Drawing near. Great. Praise. Yes. Peace. Yes. Accepting his forgiveness. Yes. Hope. Yes. Joy. Why joy? What does judgment mean? It means he's coming back. He's coming back. He hasn't given up on the earth. A parent that doesn't care about their kid, they don't correct him about anything. He's coming back. Let's give him a hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's coming back. That's why this is all happening. He's coming back. This is amazing. And he's getting us ready for his return. For real. This is amazing. This is what Psalm 149 is is revealing, that the the saints, they're worshiping him day and night. They've got a sharp two-edged sword of their hand to execute vengeance on the nation, to bind their kings in fetters because he's coming back. This is amazing news. You want to be ready for it. You want to be ready for it because there are usurpers on the earth that have stolen his authority and his kingdom, and they're making a mess of everything. He needs to judge it. I mean, you want him to judge it, right? Me too. Me too. All true prophecy has a response. Oh, oh, sorry. And it all come. All true prophecy comforts us to see God's love in the judgment, which I just tried to uh, give you a little morsel of. All true prophecy has a response of righteousness inherent in the truth, and a consequence for iniquity or for being at fault. When you see the word iniquity in the Bible, that means being at fault. Okay. Now this is because the world is already in judgment. So there is this dullness that has settled on mankind that thinks we're our own, we're kind of living our lives, and some of us have everything we need, it's kind of a good life, and judgment's going to mess that up. Some of us on this planet, by far the majority, are like, barely have enough, everyday scratch, someone is probably oppressing them, they're not free to do anything, and they want judgment. Do you see your attitude towards judgment, a lot of it is related to how good your life is. And your life is pretty good, I want to tell you, just globally. And so it's very tempting for you to be like, no judgment, it will mess everything up. But that's not a heavenly attitude. That's wanting to try and save your earth, your world. And God's going to judge the church in America for this, that we actually wanted our lives now more than we wanted him to come back. And we want to be a people that are like, no, I have to grow into the point where I'm willing to let him release judgment on my money, on my time, on my attitude towards my spouse, my attitude towards my kids, my attitude towards church, my attitude towards taking a stand for Jesus, even though it's costly. I want him to judge me because he's going to judge the whole earth, and I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me. So it's time for him to start with me. So this is because the world is already in judgment. Prophecy is given to explain how God is qualifying in the judgment and then freeing people from the judgment, if they respond. It's given to the church, this prophecy and judgment, because the church is the first to come out of the world. Has the church come out of the world yet? 
It's kind of a trick question. There's a great cloud of witnesses that have. That list is pretty tight. It's pretty small. And I don't know how big it is. I don't know if it's millions out of history or a billion out of history, but it's clearly not most people. And the road is narrow. The way is difficult. And so you want to be a person that, while you have time, embraces judgment as much as you possibly can. That's when you read Hebrews 11, you're reading about sought it to, cut to have, didn't, you know, didn't refuse the escape for the hope of a better resurrection. You're, talking, you're, you're actually reading about people that wanted judgment. They wanted to know, am I right with God? They wanted to know, am I not right with God? And that's what we want to be. That's why we meet together week in and week out, day after day after day, because we actually have a hope that he's going to change us and make us ready for him. John 16, 8 to 13. Now, I'm going to read you a passage from the Last Supper. And I appreciate Paula actually expounding on John 15 and abiding in the Lord. This is the point of abiding is actually to receive the Spirit to release judgment. Okay, and I want you to hear this from John 16, 8 to 13. Now, this is Jesus speaking of the Spirit. He says, it's better for you that I go away because the Helper will come. And this is what he says about the Helper. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. So what's the first thing the Spirit of prophecy does? Convicts the world of sin. Do you like it when somebody convicts you of your sin? Probably not. That means that you don't like the very first thing the Holy Spirit does. But he doesn't hold that against you. Jesus actually said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They did not like Jesus convicting them of their sin. In fact, you look at when the Pharisees got the maddest. It's when Jesus convicted them of their sin. So you have to recognize if you're hearing the spirit of prophecy, one of the very first things you're hearing is conviction. Sam, can I share your your story about how you felt about prophets when you first got into the charismatic movement? Sam hated to go to meetings where there were prophets because she was afraid they were going to find out her sin and tell her about it. Remember that? And she'd be like, I don't want to go to that meeting. But the Holy Spirit, the way that he convicts you of sin is so gentle, so kind, so loving, so peaceable, that if you could actually get out of what you hear people saying and into what the Holy Spirit's saying, you'd say the same thing as Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they thought they were helping you, but actually, they did help you. They told me something, but I want to hear my Father. I want to hear the one who's good. Do you see what I'm saying? So we're actually all learning to move prophetically, but coming out of the flesh in a process. So it's like, if, it'd be like if we're all four-year-olds and we're all learning how to drive cars together. You'd be like, <laughs> but God's, this is the way he's decided to do it. He wants us to see that we can't drive the car. That's the point. So in the pain that I cause and in the pain that you cause me, and I'm just saying that generally, what we're supposed to learn is it's not my job to fix anybody, and I can't, and I have to let God fix me. Nobody else is going to fix me. Okay? This is where we're going as a body of believers. We're going to the place where we get soft to receive what the Holy Spirit's saying, and we get mature to see past what people are saying. We take the hamburger from the helper, basically. That's a Mike Bickle analogy, which I always appreciate, because when I was a kid, we ate hamburger helper. Maybe you never had any. Okay, okay John 16, 8 to 13. When he's come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. You ever been convicted of righteousness? That's how you get a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You see somebody else prophetically walking in a zeal and a love for Jesus, and you're like, oh, I'm convicted into righteousness. That's good. You want that. Does that feel good? Not usually. It does after a while, though, and you remember, you're like, oh, I'm so thankful I ran into that person, and they sparked me into love. 
You want to be a person that's prophetically sparking the people around you into love. And you want to be a person that's getting prophetically sparked into love. Again, Hebrews 10, stirring up each other into love and good works. Where does that happen? Before the throne of grace sprinkled by the blood. We need confidence and we need an ability to articulate what God is doing and saying to us personally a testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And if we do that, what we'll do is release judgment on everyone else who doesn't want to hunger and thirst for God. This is what it says about Noah. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Noah, being divinely warned, built an ark and condemned everyone who wouldn't build a boat. That's the judgment that Noah released prophetically. Do you see what I'm saying? So we want to be a people. We respond to the Lord. We don't try to release judgment. We actually try to get judged. And what that does is releases judgment, right? And we're maturing into this. This is a process. Because you hear these things at different stages of your walk with Jesus, and you're trying them and failing and breaking stuff and then seeing how God fixes it and maturing. This is normal Christian life. Like, don't be discouraged. Actually embrace God is so merciful. He's brought us together to do this. It's amazing. Okay. Of sin, because they do not, oh, uh, uh, he's, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. So the spirit of prophecy is convicting the world of judgment. That's actually why there's a core value for Lighthop that says we want to mature into this. The core value, it articulates we're not there. Right? We're, we never thought we were. And when we are there, like, that's what the two witnesses are. Are the two witnesses beloved of the world and of the church? No. When they die, they throw a party. Like, that's what we're signing up for. Do you get that? That's the point, okay? And it always has been, way before Lighthop. It's always been the point. That's called normal Christianity, okay, to be a witness. He said, you were witnesses of these things. Did that happen to any of those first disciples? Did it happen to all of them? Yeah, it happened to all of them. Did they all die? No. John didn't die. Like, he lived out his life on Patmos, in prison. They tried to, according to the book of Mars, they tried to boil him in oil. Like, they just couldn't kill him. He, 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 he lived a long life. You don't know what's going to happen. That's my point. We obey him. We find out. Remember, Peter was like, is he not going to die? And Jesus was like, Peter, if that, that's between me and John. You do what I'm telling you to do, right? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's who and what's what, who's at the right and who's at the left. We just want to be faithful. We want to be faithful. We want to all grow as witnesses, okay? Of, right, uh, of sin because they do not believe in me. So the, he's going to come, the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world of sin because they don't believe in him. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, is it different than somebody trying to convince you that you're a sinner and need God? Absolutely. There's anointing on it. That's what, this is what he's saying. I'm sending the Spirit to convict people of sin because they don't believe in me. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't need to convince anybody of their sin. You need to live as a person that's getting convicted of your sin as a witness to other people, and they will become convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's, he's raising up a group of shepherds, not a group of goat herds. He's raising up a group of people that follow him, not a bunch of people that push others to follow him. Do you see what I'm saying? Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And there we have it, that Satan's already judged. This world is already judged. Anything that doesn't come out of Satan's leadership is judged already, and that includes us. And if you're honest, you, if you're honest, you have sin. If you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. And so we have to recognize we were born into judgment 
us releasing judgment, that's really not a new thing. It's just our awareness of releasing judgment that's humbling, right? Because we're arrogant. We don't think that we're in judgment, mostly because of where we live and what we think we believe, okay? And then he says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, speaking of the spirit of prophecy or the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So my point in laying all this out is that you can't prophesy and not prophesy judgment. So if you want to be a prophetic house of prayer, you've got to be a judgment house of prayer. It's the only way it works. But you have to be a person that sees judgment the way God does if you want to be in agreement with God about it. So he sees it with mercy, with joy, with love, with peace, with self-control, right? Gentleness, kindness. So that's where our goal is to grow in these things as we don't let go of the truth, which is we're under judgment, the world's under judgment, and we can come out. There's a safe place to go. And if we do that, we'll actually be changed. We'll bear the fruit of people that are more like God. Okay, no. There's no true prophecy that isn't about judgment, and the fullness of prophecy must explain the response to the prophecy or judgment. All biblical prophecy is like this. And I tell you the culminating of this is in the two witnesses of Revelation 11. Now, the flesh, including fleshy believers, will hate the two witnesses. If we don't learn to love judgment, we'll hate the two witnesses. That's what I'm saying. We have to actually recognize, yes, they'll convict the world of sin. Yes, they will convict the world of righteousness. Yes, they will be a comfort. But we have to recognize that we will hate them unless we're reformed, unless we repent. We don't like being convicted of sin. We don't like being convicted of judgment. And we don't like being convicted of righteousness. Because it feels less than. It's, it just evokes all these feelings that we don't like. But that's why God's showing them to us so that we don't have to feel those things that we don't like. Right? Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, they fell into shame. And then they tried to cover it. He's like, the very first thing he did was like, give me that fig leaf. And they put blood on them. That's what we need. We need blood, okay? So false prophets, they prophesy smooth things because of this reality. Because they, they want to love God. They want to actually be conduits of God's release into the earth. They just don't want people to not like them. <laughs> and so they prophesy smooth things because they would like a God that makes them appealing to the world. Is God appealing to the world? No. He's, he just said it. The Holy Spirit's coming to convict the world of sin and of judgment, and of righteousness, okay? So false prophets prophesy smooth things to the flesh. Rather than explain God's purpose and his difficult-to-understand plans to orchestrate our circumstances so we choose his leadership without him violating our free will, false prophets instead turn people away from seeing God rightly by fabricating plans God has to comfort our flesh. They say everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. But not change, you're going to hell. You're born into judgment. If, if, like, you were on the road and you're going off a cliff, and I'm like, you're driving great. I love the way that you're keeping it straight. Give it a little more gas. Everything's going to be great. And you go plunging off the hill. Am I a good person? No. God is trying to get us off of that road. And so he convicts us, hey, everything's not okay. But it can be. It really can be. And I love where you're at right now because you're not dead yet, but I want you to come with me. <laughs> right? Isn't that nice of him? God would be evil to comfort our flesh already under judgment. He's trying to save us, not comfort us on our way to hell. God intends to see our flesh killed or denied and planted in the ground like a seed so it can be reborn. So when we die to ourselves, we're dying to our mind, will, and emotions. The way we think about things, the way we see things, the way we uh, feel things, and what we want to do about things. And we actually let him tell us how judgment is good, how his plans are right, okay? Okay. 
No prophecy that comes from God is smooth. It's edifying. That means it keeps you on a rock. It's exhortation, which means it moves you to the rock. And it's comfort, explaining how the rock is safe in the midst of scary things happening everywhere else. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is actually described as a stumbling stone of offense. So the spirit of prophecy gets you over the trip. It gets you over that, ah, I don't see him right. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, see it this way, prophetically. And, but it doesn't get rid of the truth that Jesus requires absolute submission. He really does. You just can't do it. So the Holy Spirit, he illuminates. This is the way you respond to judgment prophetically. How do we respond to judgment in the flesh? We try to store stuff up because stuff's going away. We try to heal ourselves because we're getting sick. We try to save our money because he's touching the money, right? Anybody seen any of this going on in the globe lately? So the spirit of prophecy says, don't do that. Actually, respond this way prophetically. It's not bad what he's doing. It's good. So Jesus touching our bodies through judgment, the way he described it in the book of Revelation, that's good. The lamb is the one that opens the fourth seal. Jesus touching inflation, making it happen is what I mean. That's good. But you'd be tempted to complain about Biden, complain about the cost of gas, complain about this, complain about that. You're going deeper into judgment. He's like, come with me. Give your money away. I always intended for you to never be that moved by inflation. Why are you so moved by it? Do you trust in the number? You do. I mean, if you're like everybody else, you do. So we respond to the spirit of prophecy. We say, if I don't respond to this and stop complaining, I'm going to take the mark of the beast because I'm going to be looking for a human solution to money problems. You see what I'm saying? So this judgment, this is very important that you respond to it today, like right now, that you don't just say, yeah, it's good, but you say, yeah, this is getting me close to God, and I want to release it. I actually want to be a person that's been sifted financially completely by God. I want him to teach me like what Paul said. I know how to have a lot. I know how to have a little. It doesn't move me either way. I trust in God. That's what we're going for. That's the joy. Now, if you get to that place of freedom, you're actually going to be a witness, a very convicting witness of other people's sin, how they don't do what they're supposed to do financially, how they don't have the zeal to do it, and how they're getting judged for it, how their financial problems are actually the result of their own financial leadership. That will make people mad at you if you say the truth about these things. Some people. Some people will listen to you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they hate you. If they listen to me, they'll listen to you. Some people love the witness of light, and they're like, I've tried everything. I just want to get free. Like, Whatever it takes, I want to get free. And they follow people who know God. Okay? That's what you want. You want to be a person that knows God and actually is a light shining. Okay? Mm. So no prophecy that comes from God is smooth. It's edifying, it's exhortational, and it's comfort. Jeremiah 23, 29 to 30. Is not my word like fire, the Lord says to Jeremiah, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. So, what are the prophecies that aren't like that? What are the prophecies that aren't like fire and a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces? None prophecies. No prophecies aren't like that. His word is like that. It changes the people that hear it and believe it. And there's a reward for it. Isaiah 30, 9 to 13. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord. Now, he's speaking to religious leaders in Israel. He's talking to people that actually make their living representing God. Okay? Who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Why? Because our livelihood is on the line here. Our comfort is on the line here. Like everybody listening to us, they're not going to listen to us if you keep saying these negative things. Say some positive things. Let's get some butts in the seats. You don't want to do that. You actually want to be a person that says what God is saying if you're representing him. Otherwise, you suffer this same exact fate. 
You don't want to suffer the same fate as the people God's talking about here in Isaiah 30, okay? It was negative, very negative when Babylon came and judged them. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity. Now, the oppression and perversity he's talking about, he's talking about oppressing people with false hope. He's talking about the perversity of corrupting his warning and telling people, go ahead, drive straight for that cliff. Yeah, it's good. Let's all go together. We're going to win. That's perversity and the oppression he's talking about. And rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant. And we don't have to look very hard to see what it looks like when people are unprepared for calamity. Look at Florida. They just heard so many warnings and so many people saying that warning doesn't matter. That people died unnecessarily just because they didn't take it seriously and respond. Remember Katrina? It took like three days for civilization to break down in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. There were buses lined up to take people out and people didn't leave. During the World War II, Jewish people in Germany, they were warned over and over by Hitler, get out. Because they could, their hearts were so hard they could not believe it. They didn't leave. They were loaded onto train cars and murdered. Like, we have to understand, God's trying to warn us right now. Respond to my judgment right now. Embrace it. Learn to speak it over yourself first, then over others. And they won't like it, but it's okay. You just have to keep being faithful. And you're not going to do it well, but you have to be soft and able to be taught as you do it. Because the world and the church are in rebellion, what's coming is more judgment. I can guarantee it. 2023 is going to be worse than 2022 in the way of judgment. Guaranteed. True prophets are clear about that and have a gifting to explain how to see it rightly. That means they they can reveal it to your mind. Respond to it rightly. That means that they can actually persuade you by the Holy Spirit to see what God wants done, not what you want done, and feel it rightly. This is I'm describing what a, a, a prophet, an anointed prophet does. They help you see judgment rightly, feel it rightly, and respond to it rightly. It's not really about telling the future, though, that the future will be revealed. And we can all prophesy according to, to 1 Corinthians 14. We can all do this because we have the Spirit that does it, the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? This is actually our responsibility to not have the Holy Spirit and not use what he's given us to warn people, not impatiently, not full of anger, but to warn them because we're getting to know God and his mercy and his patience and his kindness, his self-control. So the house of prayer is prophetic. I'm going to take the the last uh, part of the the morning here and talk about um, the new song. Okay, so the house of prayer is prophetic or new. Now that word, when you see the word new song, that's a Hebrew word and it means fresh. The new word means fresh. Fresh song, okay? Psalm 41 to 3. Now there's at the... Let's see, open up your notes here to the back, page four of the notes. You're going to see a little section with verse after verse after verse, highlighted yellow is a new song. Now, in this, I want you to, let's just take a second and look at what I gave you here. Psalm 33, this is the verse. Sing a new song to him. Play the harp with skill and shout for joy. Now, new song isn't capitalized. It's not like in, in quotes. It's not like underlined and highlighted. You could miss this if you're not paying attention But every time you see the word new song, you're going to see a passage either above it or below it about judgment. 
The new song is always about judgment. It's the prophetic. It's actually describing David's tabernacle, the prophetic musical release of what God is saying, okay? So this is the verse, Psalm 33, 3. Sing them a new song. Play the harp with skill and shout for joy. You'd be like, oh, that's beautiful. Psalm 33, 10 says, the Lord frustrates the purposes of the nations. He keeps them from carrying out their plans. That's what happens. You do the new song, the Lord frustrates the purposes of nations. Any, any nations on the earth, you think, man, it'd be good if God frustrated their purposes right this second. Yeah, there's a few. Psalm 40, verse 3. He taught me to sing a new song, a song of praise to our God. Many who see this will take warning and will put their trust in the Lord. Why? If God taught you how to sing a new song, he just taught you this new song. Hey, he gave you some skill on the guitar. I love this song. The new song, though, the prophetic, fresh song, it says many who see this will take warning and will put their trust in the Lord. If it's really the song of the Lord, it's, it's about judgment. It's about releasing judgment. It's a warning about judgment, how to see it right, how to respond to it right, how to feel right about it. And if you're actually doing prophetic singing, that's what you're singing. You see what I'm saying? And we do a lot of prophetic singing here. Now, there's an asterisk on this, which is we're growing into this. So you can't get like, oh, I, I've sang some prophetic songs that were just about how much, you know, how great I feel. Like, we're all maturing in this. When it's all said and done, we will be singing songs that agree with what the two witnesses are doing. We'll actually be releasing judgment along with the two witnesses. And that will not be loved by the world. So if you're like, hey, we're going to get the music going, and a bunch of people are going to love the music. They might not know Jesus, but they're going to come because of the music, and then they're going to get saved. That is a false idea. It is not in the Bible. The actual true prophetic release of music in the end times is going to cause people that want God to come near, people that don't to hate it and kill it, okay? Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing, a, sing to the Lord all the world, Psalm 96.1. Man, that sounds like a beautiful verse. Psalm 96.10, say to all the nations, the Lord is king. The earth is firmly set in place. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with justice. That's not that pleasant of a thing if you think about all the injustice. Psalm 98.1, sing a new song to the Lord. He's done wonderful things. By his own power and holy strength, he has won the victory. That means somebody's lost the battle, Right? Psalm 144.9, I will sing to you a new song, O God. I will play the harp and sing to you. Psalm 144.6, just a little bit before that, send flashes of lightning and scatter your enemies. Shoot your arrows and send them running. This is what we're doing. And you might be like, I come here and I sing songs about God, and I'm not, I don't feel that way about anybody. I don't want God to shoot his arrows at them. He's like, well, let's actually talk about how I want to shoot my arrows at you. Let's talk about how you're corrupting the place where I'm trying to save people. And you're like, I'm just fine with them driving off the road. I don't care. He's like, I do. I care about them driving off the road. Psalm 149.1, praise the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord. Praise him in the assembly of his faithful people. Let them shout, Psalm 149.6-9, aloud as they praise God with their sharp swords in their hands to defeat the nations and punish the peoples, to bind their kings in chains, their leaders in chains of iron, to punish the nations as God has commanded. This is the victory of God's people. Praise the Lord. I'm not there. Are you there yet? I'm not there. But that's because I think there's some parts of my life that God could leave alone and I'd be just fine. But there's not. There's no part of my life God could leave alone and I'll be just fine. There wasn't some part of me born righteous and the rest of me was kind of needing improvement. I was born going to hell. And when I see there's no stone that can be left unturned and me still be okay, then I agree with this passage. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the point of the house of prayer. It's not to tell God what to do with everybody else. It's to reveal what he's doing in everybody else so we can say yes to it. Does that make sense? It's a witness reality. It's a light reality. 
Okay, let's go back to the notes. I've got about five minutes left. I mean, that's, this is the notes, but the other part of the notes. <clears throat> okay, so the house of prayer is prophetic and musical, the new song. Psalm 41 to 3, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. So David was praying this. He gave it to the musician. The musician sang it. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. How many of you guys love that? You know, he took me out of the miry clay, set my feet on the rock. I was having a bad day. He changed my attitude, set my feet on the rock. This is actually talking about judgment. We can co-opt all these verses and make them about us. But they're about Jesus. They're about what he's still waiting for. They're about what he deserves. And we take his words often and turn them into nice little poems about us. And he's telling me, Tom, stop doing that. Get into what I want right now. And for like three months, I'd be like, God, I just want to know what you want. I open the Bible and judgment. Next day, next morning, judgment. Next morning, judgment. I bought a new Bible. I'm like, my Bible's broken. Judgment. Judgment. And I literally thought I just wore in the pages. Because I hear the accusations against me. I used, somebody used to tell me, you're the judgment guy, I'm the glory guy. I bought that. His judgment is his glory. They're inseparable. This is what he wants us to do is stop co-opting his words, corrupting them, perverting them, using them to get other people to do what we want. Instead, letting them change us. Letting them change us. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. We, we talked about that already, that that fear comes from David getting the new song. First Chronicles 25, 1-2. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service, some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and of Jedithan, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And then I skipped a part of that verse. The sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. The part I skipped was a bunch of names I don't want to pronounce, and David didn't do it last week, so I don't have to this week. They prophesied according to the order of the king. David was like, this is not a place to express your emotions. Prophesy. This isn't a place to tell everybody about what you think. Prophesy. What is God saying? Don't tell God what you think he should do. Let him tell you what he wants to do, and you be a voice on the earth of it. That's way different. And if you'll do that, you will release judgment on you first. I'm talking about good things. And then judgment on your family. You'll free you first. You'll free your family. You'll free this church. You'll free this city. That's what I'm saying. We're already in judgment. If you release judgment, you're just, it's making you aware of what you're already stuck in. Okay? David organized a tabernacle worship to reflect heaven's governmental order. Four main worship leaders, the seraphim, 24 delegated authorities, his sons. So in 1 Chronicles 25, 1 to 2, David, Heman, Asaph, and Jedithan. These are the main guys, four main guys. The sons were prophesying according to the main guy's orders. Hey, this is what we hear the Lord saying. This is what we're doing. And that's what they did. This mimicked the revelatory release of what was happening in Revelation 4. Thousands of years before Revelation 4 was written. David got this by the spirit of prophecy, by the spirit of judgment. Why? Because it's the government. Judgment just means government. Right? Judgment just means government. It's the government of God. When you're singing the new song, you're singing the government of God. And the government of God doesn't budge. It doesn't compromise with man. It doesn't compromise with lesser values to keep people comfortable on their way to hell. The government of God, it breaks rocks. It's like a hammer. It's like a fire. It consumes everything that's keeping us in prison. If you want that, if you want to see judgment differently, I want to invite you to stand with me. The worship team can come back up. There's more in the notes. 
and even more in the Bible. For real. I just hear the Holy Spirit saying that. Like, if you're interested in this, play a little uh, Bible roulette. Ask the Lord to show you some things that you haven't seen before. Ask him to give you opportunities to speak it over yourself instead of shy away from it. Don't look for Bible passages that give you comfort to stay the same. Look for Bible passages that compel you to change. That's, that's really the nature of seeing judgment rightly and wanting it. Looking for Bible verses that compel us to change. If you want that, the Lord is willing to give it. This is a guaranteed yes. This, sorry, this, this is a guaranteed yes in heaven. Holy Spirit, in this room right now, would you come? Would you come with fire and with that hammer? I just hear the Lord saying, what is the part of your life that you're trying to save? What's the part you're afraid you're going to lose? That's the part I want to break up, actually. I want to give it to you better. I want to give it to you unbreakable. I want to give it to you fresh, with zeal, not with fear. Jesus, would you show us the things that we're just so desperately trying to protect, that we don't want judgment to touch them? Money. I just hear him saying in this room, some of you are afraid of money. You're afraid something bad's going to happen to your money. It's, it's actually, it's, you think about that more than God. He says, just give it to me. Ask me to judge it. I will. It'll be good for you. Time. He's saying time. Some of you, you're so afraid that you're going to run out of time. He says, give it to me. Ask me to judge your time. I'll give you more more than you could ask or imagine. Marriages. Some of us are afraid judgment touching our marriage. I'm working so hard and it's still slipping. He says, give it to me. Ask me to judge it. I'll give it to you better, way better. Holy Spirit, touch us with confidence before the throne right now. Just fill this room with confidence. Sprinkle us in the blood of Jesus. Release your glory, God. We're going to respond here as these guys get set up, and then we're going to do communion when it's um, kind of winding down.